0: Welcome to another episode of Praxis Pedagogy Podcast, where Chad and I sit down and talk with Andrea Niosi, who is a marketing faculty member at Kwantlen Polytechnic University in the School of Business. to another episode of Praxis Pedagogy podcast. This is a weird one because even though Chad Flynn is in the same room with me, he's not using a microphone cuz we're we're tech savvy. We we understand what this is what's going on, but uh, maybe we're pushing the boundaries of tech too much and it's just saying no. Yeah, so that small voice that you hear in the background, that's not the wind going through the trees, that is actually Chad Flynn, and uh, he'll be my backup support on this, and maybe I'll just hand him the microphone if he really, really needs to say anything. But we have today a very special guest. Her name is Andrea, and uh, I'd like to introduce everybody to Andrea. Andrea, say hi to everybody and tell us what you do, where you're from, and uh, a little bit about your background.
1: Sure. Okay. Hi. Hi tim and chad thanks for having me on today so my name's andrea niosi and i'm a faculty member at quantlin polytechnic university and i teach marketing i am in the school of business and i'm actually going into my 12th year teaching at quantlin which is quite a long time (laughs) and uh, i've You know i i feel like a real rookie in the open space to be honest i've just kind of started to fall into it within the last probably most aggressively in the last year or so and um so i'm engaging in a few different open projects but i would say that um i call it the my gateway drug is the textbook and Ah. so yeah so i i Um, have embarked on writing an open textbook for one of the courses I teach because I just was, well, I actually like the traditional textbook. I don't use all of it. I only use a a portion of it. And I just started to see that so many students were not able to buy the textbook for like financial reasons, obviously. And um, I, you know, I've reviewed other this is for a consumer behavior course textbooks. And I was always just sort of feeling a little bit underwhelmed with the content and, and just the volume of it. I'm like, you know, there's a handful of stuff I really want students to walk away from this course knowing. And if we are constantly making them drink through the fire hose, they are just not like the stuff that needs to stick isn't really sticking. So it really uh, made me turn a lot of my, um, my teaching upside down. And then I uh, so I've been working on an open textbook for almost a year now. Um, it's a lot of work, I've discovered.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So when um, when you, when you talk about uh, creating uh, an open textbook, uh, is it been mostly because you've seen what's what's going on with uh, with students that they can't afford the textbook, um, or is it something that you want to be more agile with it as things change? You want to be able to change it on the fly.
1: Yeah, you know, I think my early motivations, while they're still there, new things have emerged, which is, I think, part of why the open space is so exciting, because I, I feel like I'm always learning about new things I can do with this. So initially, yeah, initially, I saw that, well, I saw that You know, I think I'm on the seventh edition of the traditional book, and there's very little difference between each edition. So I'm like, okay, I see what's going on here. (laughs) Right. So that started to, you know, for me, be problematic. And then um, I did start to see that the students were not purchasing the book. And uh, again, likely for financial reasons. And so the results in the course were low. And that really made me. Concerned about students' well-being and why you know, and if this is attached to te- a textbook, then that's something within my control that I should be looking at. I also, I was sort of drawn to like the intellectual challenge of putting together a textbook because <laughs> I'm going to write a it, it's never going to happen. And I mean, quite frankly, most of the textbook is is content that is um, I'm just remixing from other open sources. So you know, it's it's a little bit misleading to say I'm quote unquote writing a textbook. I'm really just curating and <laughs> assembling.
0: Right, so, right, right. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So those were my early motivations, but what I have discovered over time, and this is kind of where the open pedagogy piece comes in, is that, you know, this textbook really If if it's gonna serve my students the way that I want it to serve them, both from an interest level and a course success level, then much more of the content should really be created by them as opposed to by me. So I'm, I'm really starting to see the limitations of what I can offer students, and I'm seeing the enormous and vast potential of what students can offer students.
0: You know it's interesting you say that because that's a that's a completely different paradigm shift or or a different perspective um, in higher ed, isn't it? because we get hired as subject matter ex- experts, and it's almost expected of us to either find stuff or put stuff together to pour into that bucket the student to have them regurgitated or pour it back out on an exam and walk away with a with a a letter on their transcript that's supposed to mean something.
1: yeah, it's i, I mean i I don't know when. Um, within the last couple of years, I would say I've crossed over a threshold where I no longer believe I'm a subject matter expert, um, but I'm much more of an educator. You know, I I remember saying this to my husband, like, I don't see myself as a marketer primarily anymore. I see myself as an educator. And crossing through that threshold made me put so much more emphasis on developing learners as opposed to um, trying to just Uh, dump a whole bunch of content on them and expect them to walk away, you know, understanding all this content, but not really learning how to process it or um, how to collaborate and how to build upon things and how to think critically. And, you know, I I just, I felt like once I frost onto that other side. Um, this whole new world open of being able to take the content that we have and really understand it on a different level and, and really play with it and benefit from it in different ways.
0: Yeah. And, and, you know, I think let let me back up because my mind's going a million miles a second here. Um, people often talk about that they, they perceive a difference between the trades world and the tech world or the trades world and the academic world. Uh, but there really isn't, you know, there really isn't because when you say that you don't see yourself as a marketer, as much as you see yourself as an educator. Um, I I know for myself that there was a, there was a distinct line that I crossed when I not only was hired to do what I do at, at the school that I was working at, but when I realized that Students, apprentices are coming to school with a bunch of background knowledge that I don't have mm-hmm. because materials have changed, mm-hmm. installation practices have changed. I mean, yeah, there's a lot of stuff that's still core to what I do as a plumber. Mm-hmm. But there's there's also a ton of new stuff that's being done out there and being introduced out there that I just simply haven't had my hands on because I've been in education for 10 years. and. I remember distinctly sitting in my office saying to myself, I, I can't I can't be this plumber subject matter expert anymore. I have to be a facilitator because there's just stuff that I don't know and I can't pretend to know it. And I don't get enough release time to actually go back to the field or I don't have my own company to keep my hands dirty in, in, in that regard. So it, it is an interesting shift, isn't it, for, for faculty to make?
1: It is. It is. I mean, I, I completely feel that. And I, especially, I mean, I think probably it's like this in many disciplines, I will say marketing is, it's, it's fast changing. It is, you know, very dynamic. And, um, and what is relevant, what was relevant to me is completely irrelevant to a lot of my students. And I mean, I, You know, I know that in a lot of business classes and marketing classes, there's instructors who are expecting everyone to, um, you know, know everything about Tim Hortons and Wayne Gretzky and all of these like, (laughs) like, you know, icons and like, you know, marketing examples and things. But, you know, what good is this if these examples aren't relevant to students? And what, what I found was I started a few years ago really trying to like solicit, you know, what examples do you have? And asking students these really simple questions. What did you grow up with? Um, Wherever you're from in the world, because it's even more fascinating to see those examples from places where I haven't had that exposure and I can see where marketing has, how it's taken place. And so students started to contribute content that was so fascinating and so much better than anything that I could come up with that um, what scared me was after, end of every course i lost all of this you know you reset and then i was like oh my god that was so good those commercials that they showed but none of that content is something i can take credit for because these weren't and i even for me to explain them or describe them to future students would be really doing an injustice because they weren't my stories they weren't my examples or my experiences or my emotions from these advertisements or commercials that students had shared so i really started to feel like i needed to create some sort of a, a structure that i could capture this and almost let it live in perpetuity and let future students um relate to that because it just um you know the second i make something relevant to them they're like oh i get it i get it yeah this makes so much more sense oh your yeah. example is terrible This example is great.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And then all of a sudden it clicks and now you become this, this, this superstar professor because you, you can relate to them at at such a fundamental level, right?
1: Well, I I mean, I don't know about like any superstar status, but I, I definitely (laughs) feel like I'm, I'm educating and that I'm like providing this role where I'm taking, I'm able to sort of carry forward what other students have done and contributed and bring that to future students and make those like that student to student connection that otherwise can't really ha- happen, right? Like you're sort of a little bit of a conduit for those those moments to take place. So, and I also just love like I can update my examples which are kind of old and dated and not that interesting. And students, I can sit there in the class and go, okay, who's got an example of a, um, you know, a sports, um, endorser, an athlete, a celebrity who's done something really awful, um, and has been cut from their deal. And everyone's got 10 new examples that, that are better than, you know, the Tiger Woods and Michael Phelps examples I have from, for sure. So and, and probably
0: from sports that you wouldn't have necessarily known about until they had, you had these students in your class.
1: Yeah. And I mean, sometimes things are, yeah, examples are from, you know, different industries or different parts of the world or, you know, it's and it's really interesting, like, and they want to talk about this. Right. So it gives us the chance for them to lead these discussions, which is fun.
0: Yeah. So talk to me a little bit more and to Chad, because we don't want to forget Chad. He's in the room. Yeah. He's being very nice and quiet, by the way. Um, which is hard for him, I think. But <laughs> but um talk to us a little bit more about how students respond to you the first time when you go down this route this route, because I'm sure with the international flavor that you have in your classroom, they're not really expecting you to share that power.
1: Yeah, I I mean we've we're really fortunate at Quantlin because we've had opportunities to undergo a lot of different intercultural training and intercultural teaching workshops, and um, you know, really understanding the dynamics in the classrooms when you have such diverse student bodies, but also um, what power means and what those power relationships look like, and that's every you know. Every time you know experts come in and sessions are held, I learned so much, and there's so much to take away from that, and really understanding my position in the classroom um, with respect to students and how they're receiving me. Right, so it's you know there's there's mixed feelings um, I think in terms of what I'm offering and how I'm teaching because there is you know. I'm, I'm trying really hard to center students in their learning experience, um, working really hard to, to really support their success, to bring a lot more formative assessments into the classroom, uh, to give them opportunities to write content that can then be included in a textbook or, you know, used for open license, and we can reuse it in other capacities. And it's, you know, it's interesting because some students, I mean, this term, I've seen this, they're completely distrustful they're like they don't believe me they're like wait you're you're going to give us feedback and you're not just going to grade it I'm like no i'm just i'm going to give you feedback and they're like no, <laughs> so you're going to fail it if the, if there's a lot of feedback no i'm not going to fail it and like we can we can do this 100 <laughs> times i'm going to give you and so i it makes me sad because they're automatically some of them are are distrustful because they haven't had that experience they're you know, and sometimes students resort to desperate measures to get a grade they need to maybe um, maintain a scholarship or funding or expectations of others. Right. So removing those things, um, it's scary.
0: Yeah. And I've even had some of those circumstances where I've given feedback and 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 so it's it's not ironic but it still kind of makes me smile in the sense that i've had students say the same thing to me that so if you give me a lot of information does that mean i passed or does that mean i failed and and for some of them like you've just said they're they're facing financial pressure scholarship wise or funding wise, whatever that looks like.
1: Mm-hmm. But
0: some of them are even facing like visa issues. Yes. And that if they don't pass this, they can't continue staying in the country.
1: Yes, yes. Those are those are by far some of the most difficult situations to be in where students are sort of on the border of not being successful in a course for a multitude of reasons. And the consequences are they're severe they're much more severe than just having you know to repeat a course so those those are difficult situations but what i found is that i think the whole idea of supporting student success has to be you have to come at it from so many different angles um you know an open textbook is one but you have there's just the teaching practices and the pedagogy and um even just that relationship with students all of that you know, I think requires an overhaul. So, I mean, I feel like that's something that I'm, you know, I'm in the I'm in the process of doing, and I feel like it's just one of those lifelong things. You'll never be great at it, but hopefully, you will do um, as little harm as possible. So it's like a harm reduction strategy. And I also found just like changing that position in the classroom, where I I try to give my students, a, you know. M- little homework to no homework and really using me in the class to help develop and build and experiment and, you know, making it low risk so that they don't resort to any um, desperate measures to do well, right? So being able to like help them do well right there in the classroom with you.
0: Yeah, because that takes a lot of the fear out of what they're doing to begin with, right? And if they know that they have you as that resource, then it really lowers the, the fences, so to speak, and it builds a lot of trust between you and them. And then you can actually see some of the, the the beauty and the, and the creativity that, that they bring into the classroom. Right.
1: Yeah, definitely. And that's stuff that I have over, or I should say underestimated how much creativity students can bring to something. If you just loosen things up a little bit more, and then I have them creating stuff and I'm like, oh my God, this is amazing. So first of all, like I, I kind of joke around saying, you know, my grading score is, you know, what's a perfect grade? It's so good that Andrea's going to steal it. And <laughs> like, uh, no. just like me going, huh, nice. can we talk about me maybe using this? Like, yeah. yeah. because I'm, you know, I'm so blown away with what they've written or what they've created in H5P. We're using a lot of that in the class. So, Um, And and just developing things that really, again, resonate with them. It's relevant with them. And I can see the potential in reusing this and other students will benefit from it. So, yeah, loosening things up, those, you know, those structures, those requirements has really opened me up to, you know, an exciting new place of teaching where I feel like I'm learning maybe as much as they are.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. What I'm going to do now is I'm going to shift the mic over to Chad, where he's sitting at the table next to me, because he's just vibrating. I know he's got stuff that he wants to ask (laughs) you.
2: What gets me excited about what you're talking about, Andrea, is the whole idea of breaking down those barriers of assessment, the students are absolutely terrified of assessment. It's, I, it's something that they can't get away from. I think it's just, I know that I even, I'm going to my master's right now. And when I get feedback from my papers, I feel that not in my stomach. So to have these students, it's so hard to break down the, the paradigm of assessment with our students is what I'm trying to say. And the idea of these low risk formative assessment things are just mind blowing for student's do you you find you get tons of pushback from them? Like, do you find students, like I know in my class right now, I have one student whose sole focus is grades and I cannot break through the fact that it's not all about the grades, it's about the learning and they're just so stressed out about the grades all the time. And I'm now two months into our course and they're still struggling with that. Have you run into anything similar to that?
1: Yeah, no, of course. I mean, it's, it's also, I mean, just because even though, we might change in how we do things in the classroom. The institution hasn't changed, and those grades are still really important for them. I mean, they need to know where they stand in the class. Um, so, if they need to withdraw, they can do that without being hammered on their in their GPAs. Right. So, there are there's sort of a balance um, where we have to provide those things that we don't want to provide, like the grades, because they um, they need them, um, because the institution still requires these things for following formal process. But I, I so I try to mix things up with, um, I mean, I have a lot of traditional assessments, a lot of, um, you know, quizzes and things that students can do. But I try to just allow for a lot more um, opportunity for them to have Know, more chances to do things right make them open book um you know just sort of loosen the reins in the places where I can but they can still get those traditional grades to help them monitor where they are in the course but then I'll also almost just refuse to give a grade on a first submission of anything unless it falls into that you know this is so amazing I want to run away and steal it and use it as my own because it's so good so um I try to just uh give loads of feedback and then just say and then sometimes give a grade and say hey here's the grade if you're happy with this grade you know fantastic if you feel like you want to keep working on this then you know here's my feedback and so it's amazing because now i see students who are they're working three times harder in my class because they're getting the feedback and they're taking more pride in the work that they're doing because now they're like, wow, I actually could get a higher grade and they're not just, it's not just becoming a throwaway assignment anymore.
0: Yeah, that's, that's amazing. What has, um, what is the, your faculty colleagues, uh, what's their response to what's going on in your classroom and have they witnessed that transformation from of you from previous to now?
1: That's an- Interesting question, and I don't know how to answer that one. Um, So, I mean, like any faculty, you have a diverse group of individuals who make up a department. So, um, and I think that there's a range of reactions that come from somebody who is really stepping outside of what has been kind of some of the normal chants within departments. And I think it exists everywhere right? Students are lazy or entitled. They're, they're not working hard, you know, all this kind of stuff that you hear. So I I will say I've, I've, I've had to take a big step away from a lot of that because it really, I, I found it, it's influenced me, um, to, you know, too much. So I have surrounded myself, not so much with just my own sort of departmental colleagues, but I, I would say a lot of the people in the institution at Kwantlen who are f- truly phenomenal like for example your i think last guest Arlie or second last guest, <laughs> right? two, so two
0: guests who, ago yeah
1: yeah so people who i i really look up to and admire and learn from and i've discovered a lot of a lot of those folks and it's not with the intent to sort of stay within an echo chamber um, but more to really learn from my peers I think that there's a lot of discomfort in what we're doing, and I think all of us who work in this open space, we know what that discomfort looks like, right? And there's a lot of misunderstanding or confusion around what we're doing. There's maybe a sense of lack of rigor in what we're doing. So it's, you know, I feel like a lot of people have to kind of um, really start to you know, approach us, maybe ask the questions, learn from it. But there's a lot of there can, you know, there can be dismissiveness and there can be um, judgment without really understanding what open education is about. I mean, I, I feel really lucky at Kwantlen for so many reasons, but I, I mean, I also have people like Rajiv who are there and Rajiv who is asking me to be involved in, in running workshops or sessions on open pedagogy or, you know, showing examples of my work. And I'm more than ha- I'm always very open and happy to. Um, also because it's great to get other um, eyes set of eyes on my work and get feedback. I've started to you know I open license all of my assignments so I'm happy to share them, but really try to um, sort of spread that spirit of open sharing contribution and attribution that I think sometimes really doesn't happen between faculty at least I haven't always seen that happen. So, I think there's like a range of people who are really at a different place in this journey, and um, I, I personally like going after the low-hanging fruit and those people who have like an open, genuine curiosity, and then sharing with them and supporting them. Um, other people may get there or they may not, and I think you know it's I'm not really in the business of trying to convert them, but I'm you know I do hope that there'll be some influence along the way.
0: Yeah, I think I think that's the influence part is something that will happen naturally, and because uh, in the in the trades world, um, we kind of face the same questions that you do. Uh, although I found this one interesting piece keep keep cropping up, and that's the idea of identity and. And, and the connection that faculty feel with the resources that they're developing. And I, I've had to answer the question on more than one occasion, uh, the question surrounding. So if I create this and somebody else takes it and changes it or modifies it or even just adds to it, what happens to my name? And and that's an interesting question because to me, it it, it they're concerned not just about the credit piece, because I, I I know that I work with a lot of great faculty members who don't want the credit, so to speak, but they just want to be recognized for the work that they've done. And they're afraid that if it goes out into the open space, somehow that just gets dissolved away. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense?
1: No, it does. It does. And I mean, sometimes there's like a certain level of vanity that comes with this, but I also think part of crossing that threshold to becoming an educator makes you realize that you're doing things for a different purpose and um i think you know for me i i saw some of my work like my assignments and my wording and things being used and not you know, there was no attribution for it and i was you know i was kind of disappointed and i and it, and it concerned me because i'm like wow like using my stuff is a great idea but um it comes with a lot of instruction and a lot of context and without that context this now looks like you know it's kind of meaningless it's confusing it doesn't really make sense and it's outdated and you know so it's sort of like you know you want to say to sometimes like use it at your own peril but i i would like to think that there's there's a relationship that people form in you know using people's other people's work and um and You know, and there is a sense of like, yeah, you might lose a little bit of your identity and of your accomplishments, but um, I try to, I haven't really gotten to that point where that is something that I've had to face and really feel like it's a big risk for me or in my career. I guess, I I don't know, bigger picture. I'm hopefully creating stuff and putting it out there that will benefit other students and faculty, Um, you know, and Part of it is just hopefully creating really good content that, you know, ensure, I mean, my, my focus is on a future generation of marketers who aren't doing, you know, a terrible job at marketing. And that's what I'm hoping to be able to create with the content.
0: Yeah, for sure. For sure. Well, Andrea, as we come up to the end of our time together, I have a few standardized questions that I ask uh, all our guests. So are you ready?
1: Okay, I think so.
0: <laughs> Honestly, they're not, they're not that hard to, <laughs> to answer.
1: Um,
0: so the first one is, uh, could you name for me two or three books that have been influential for you in this transformation that you've made into the educator you are now?
1: Okay, so um, I think the best book that um, has really helped me transform as an educator, but just as a person, is Indigenous Rights by Chelsea Powell. I I highly recommend that book. Um, that one is, yeah, I, I've, I, I think and reflect on it all the time. Helped me really understand and wrap my head around um, Indigenous issues, historical, contemporary, uh, decolonization, and even just um, really addressing my own biases and um, ignorance so and privilege so I love that book and another book as an educator um oh my gosh <laughs> <laughs> why is this so hard um I'll probably think of like 10 tonight I uh, exactly I know that's really hard I don't, I don't know if I have another book I haven't I haven't um I, I feel like I read a lot more sort of papers and um, articles and things like that. But um, there's a, some work that's done by a Finnish, um, actually, she's a SAMI scholar, uh, Rana Kokanen, who uh, went to UBC and, um, and she's a scholar in decolonization and higher education. And, and her work, I found, has found to be really informative and um, influential.
0: Good good. I will try to track her down and put her into the mystical show notes that we uh, we, we haven't been very good at posting along with the episodes but uh, I'm trying my best to uh, to get on that trajectory. Uh, so thank you for sharing that with us. Um, is there is there two or three people that you follow on Twitter that you think others should follow?
1: Mm, well, I feel like we all follow the same people. <laughs>
0: Yeah, there's, there's that. Yes. Yeah.
1: I'm totally honest. <laughs> yeah.
0: But is there anybody that you would think that's on the fringe that maybe, you know, half or a quarter of our awesome open community follows?
1: Mm. Um, gosh, I, okay. God, they were just stumping me. Um, <laughs> I don't even know how to how I was prepared for this.
0: Well, I could ask you what's your favorite TV show.
1: <laughs> Those are all hard questions. <laughs> Those are all hard Those questions. To think. Come on. Okay,
0: <laughs> I'm sorry, Andrea.
1: No. Um, Twitter. Oh my gosh, I don't know who I can suggest. Uh, I mean, I I don't know if I have like individual people I can suggest, but one of the things I loved someone saying was like go through who you follow and and undergo an analysis of how diverse that is, right? Like, how many, how many women are you following? How many people of color are you following? How many LGBTQ2S are you? Like, and I found, I love that because I realized like years ago that, yeah, I was sort of, um, you know, definitely tending to follow people who could reinforce a lot of narratives that, that I might, you know, really um, align with. And so uh, I loved, opening things up and then finding a lot of, um, really diverse voices and, um, and just perspectives that are, are missing in my day-to-day life.
0: Yeah. Good point. Good point. Um, so as, as we wrap up this episode, um, here's the last final question for you. I'm sorry to make you think, but
1: <laughs> it's warming <laughs>
0: Well, part of the, I'll I'll be, I'll be honest, part of the, the, there's a selfishness to this podcast because I'm, I'm not exactly seasoned in the open arena as some of the guests that we've had on the show. So there's a, there's a part of me that wants to learn from this as well. Right. So that's why I ask these kinds of questions. But um, the last one I want to ask you is what impact do you want to have in the open space?
1: Hmm. Um, I think I, I love the idea of, um, of bringing more people into the space. So I think, um, making room for others, um, hopefully, you know, being a little bit contagious and influential, um, and having more people come into this. I mean, I think it's just, this is probably one of the most exciting and, um, meaningful areas for higher ed to be involved Um, i've recently started to work um, with both open and the sdgs in some of my courses and projects and coursework so really sort of looking at um that combination of you know looking at global and local sustainability and how and open education so making room for a lot of that and i think just in the open space i think just I love the idea of i mean i'm kind of my husband calls me a cat in a room with shiny objects like i just get <laughs> distracted by like all of these like fun toys and exciting things yeah. and um i think just like being able like I'm i'm happy to be sort of that sacrificial person to go and try stuff out and see how it works and then report back um, I'm very, I love to experiment that way. I'm very restless and kind of have a short attention span. So I think if I can do that and um, create some best practices for others to follow, to save them time and agony, I'm I like, I don't mind sacrificing myself to do that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> That's good. That's awesome. I, I often call that the shiny pie plate syndrome. Yeah. <laughs> right. Where you get that aluminum plate and it's like, oh yeah, I can see that. Oh, wait a minute. There's one over there. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I can totally relate. Thanks so much, Andrea. Chad, do you have any questions you have on? A, no, we're good. Okay. So uh, <laughs> Andrea, thanks so much for taking the time to be with us on the show today. Uh, it's been a pleasure to have you here. And um, we always ask this of all of our guests that we hope that you'd be come back if we invited you.
1: Oh, I'd love to. Thanks for having me. It's been okay. Fun.
0: Oh, yeah, it's, it's our pleasure. So thanks again, everybody, for listening to another episode of Praxis Pedagogy Podcast. If you haven't done so already, you can subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher. We are on the Spotify. We are on the Google Play. We are on almost everything out there that you can think of. Uh, so go ahead and, and do that. And if you're listening to us on the iTunes platform, all of you that like uh, the iTunes uh, situation there, give us a five-star rating because that would make us feel really good. And uh, after all that said, thanks for tuning in, and uh, we'll catch you on this side. And Chad says goodbye. We're out. Thanks so much, Andrea. That was, uh, that was awesome.